Welcome to Unpacking the Digital Shelf, where we explore brand manufacturing in the digital age. Hey everyone, Peter Crosby here from the Digital Shelf Institute. The first 10 years of the Digital Shelf was about standing a program up on the side, seeing what would come of it. Now we know. And it's the main growth driver of virtually every brand. So now the way we operate it must mature to be a profitable, reliable, measurable part of the business. That's why Chris Perry, Chief Learning Officer, and Oscar Kajupski, Chief Growth Officer at Commerce Education and Change Management Consultancy First Mover, shared the 2023 edition of their Sheared Report with Lauren Levack and me. It's entitled, wait for it, Going Corporate Commando in the Clash for Commerce. So get ready for some fresh advice for moving yourself along the commerce maturity curve. So Chris and Oscar, welcome to the DSI podcast. As you know, we love chatting with First Mover about best practices and the great knowledge you guys share. So thank you so much. Thank you for having us. Yeah, thank you. So uh, you put out the second version of your Sheared report, and we covered it on the podcast last year, and we're delighted. And it it was brilliant. See what I did there? And really hones in on a lot of the challenges that brands are having today. You know, I got to say, I I never thought I would use the phrase going commando on the podcast, but when a report is titled going corporate commando, I really kind of have no choice. So thank you for that. (laughs) Now, I don't know if we have to put an explicit tag on this podcast, which I love doing, so we'll see. But seriously, the, the new report is both delightful in tone and and fresh in creativity, but most importantly, an impactful gathering of some tough love and some smart advice for brands that want to progress in commerce. So, uh, so Chris, give us sort of the top line. What, what stood out for you since you last shared the last report with us? Yeah, no, no, I mean... So the the first one last year was really kind of setting the scene. And again, we 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 don't we don't have all the answers. Obviously, we're not better than anyone else. We would have been in the same boat, a lot of us. But when you when you as a practitioner, when you leave pra- practitioner roles and can look back at the rest of the world, you can kind of see things that everybody else can't see, right? We might be in a snow globe and we're looking in and we can see some of the realities that maybe we've all realized, but we wanted, as you said to say it in a way that wasn't pointing fingers, but made it a little bit funny, but yet also a reality that we might be able to adjust, right? And that we could that we can control our own destiny out of. And the first, the first iteration of Sheared was really about highlighting this imperative of e-commerce and, and its influence on the world, the, and then highlight the bad behaviors, as you were going with, with our sheet uh, theme, that were that were keeping us from moving forward, and then walking through the eight factors of change that would help enable e-commerce or whatever next change. The second iteration builds on that because again, the formula for change didn't change. Um, it's still true, but we have seen a lot of progress from different benchmarking reports, different our own work with brands and our trainings and consulting projects, just talking to a lot of our friends and peers in the space. We're seeing a lot of progress, but at the same time, we're not seeing enough. And I don't say that to, to grade anybody um, out there. Everyone that's leading change is working really hard. But once again, it's it's not the, the first movers that are necessarily the challenge. It's they're trying to bring the rest of the organization along and trying to get everybody on the arc. And not everybody thinks that 
we, we board the arc today. And we have to because 2023 is going to be a very challenging year as we're now trying to comp very high growth years the last few years off of COVID as inflation and other challenges hit the market. And so what, what this report really identified was that progress, but the two big barriers really still holding us back. And then some, some, I would say expansion on some of those strategies that we can take. And, and just to highlight those barriers, because I think if you name them, you can go solve them. There, it's, it's actually, it's one barrier, but two parts. It's measurement. And now that we have a lot more data available and the right metrics that we can name by holding ourselves accountable to the right metrics that would lead to the right changes, we can be accountable and actually pivot large organizations. Easy to say, but take some steps to do. But within measurement, we also kind of came up with this word called measurement, meaning me, measuring myself. And this is a reality of for all leaders, right? This is an opportunity for us to all stay humble, us included. Everyone is how they measure themselves, right? Or how they are measured, right? We are what we measure, we are what we do. And one of the challenges today is that traditional leaders who kind of I want to say avoided Omni and Ecom, maybe not on purpose, but avoided it because it wasn't their job, have kind of stayed in a harbor, right? Like they kind of stayed safe in this harbor, not sailing the seven seas of tumultuousness that was out there disrupting. So the problem is we need their, their expertise and their maturity applied to this tumultuous sea coming at us that takes all of us to win. But they haven't been practiced as sailors navigating those seas. The e-com people, the digital people, have been navigating those seas, but the challenge is they were, they were getting really good over the last decade managing storytelling, um, managing ambiguity, building the early foundational steps for how to win in e-commerce. But now that it's starting to mature, they haven't necessarily practiced, they didn't have ex expertise over the last five, 10 years in that more, more mature business. So this is an opportunity for us all to come together and bring the different tools and capabilities and skills we all complement each other on, but to try to overcome any vanity, right? Because like, you know, I, and I, I don't say that to blame people, but everybody has an ego and we've a lot of people in e-commerce have become thought leaders and that's good, but you need to also be action leaders. Like we actually need to be practitioners again. So we actually know how to sail those seven seas. And so I, I only say that because I, in hindsight, I probably could, could have told my my former self to do the same. And I'd want I'd want someone telling me that now if I was at the helm of a ship trying to drive that change. And so um, so measurement is an opportunity by getting the right metrics, we can all break through ego and inefficiency and try to drive e-commerce and whatever comes next. And so in the first report, you talked about the eight factors of change that go into this. And in this report, you revisited them. So we don't have time to go through all eight. So check out the report, everyone. We will talk about the link at the end of the podcast. But let's talk about organizational enablement. Oscar, what have you seen really kind of shift with organizational enablement this year? I think so. There are, there are a few issues, right? Number one issue is that we actually, not only to e-commerce, we also have AI now coming into the fold. So the challenge that we actually have is um, that in terms of the change management, we almost have to make it like a double jump. And I think the organization need to kind of understand this, that this is the time where we, even us on the call, we need to upscale. So we need to really understand um, how to enable the entire organization 
to help them to go from you know regular world to AI power world, right? And think about it this, this is not any uh, different when it actually happened about, I would say probably beginning of nineties when we actually were introducing computers into you know the workforce, right? People were used to writing with a pen and paper, you know, do, going to the meetings, building big presentation, maybe some, you know, projector slides, slides, you know, on the paper, et cetera, right? Now we actually going into very like AI specific world where we need to kind of reconcile almost where do we spend our time? How do we use the technology to be able to advance us what we are doing on everyday basis? And I think it's critical for the organization to recognize that this change fundamentally is no longer only about the e-commerce people, it's the change that can actually impact the entire organization. So that's why we need to spend time to understand this, how do we actually function in this new world? What we are actually hearing from a lot of people at the moment is that um, a lot of the legal and compliance team, they just wanna ban the AI. It's like, you can't use AI to create content versus trying to figure out is like how really to make this work to benefit the organization. Because we know e-commerce um, throughout its journey, it has been always about new ones over time because e-commerce is maturing. And that's what I think, you know, a lot of the leaders of, of, the, of the past of e-commerce, they really need to spend time and look at the details. And I think AI can help us to scale up some of those details. It is possible now, not only to focus on the priority skews, but it's only you can actually build the entire algorithm for the entire entire portfolio, right? So like you can actually elevate almost the minimum viable product of e-commerce app. So I think, you know, fundamentally, this is something that, you know, we can actually push forward as, as a narrative within the organization, but we have to be open-minded to it. The same way as we had to be open-minded about e-commerce, the same way as we had to be open-minded about computers in the workforce. Is what I love about it is, is just so much is happening so quick. Like chat GTP literally, you know, came up in November. Now we have, you know, Microsoft trying to one up, you know, with the Bing integration, which is, by the way, I highly recommend go, go to Bing and see their integration with open, um, uh, open AI. It's, it's wonderful because it's trying to actually ease people in it. And then, you know, of course, um, Google yesterday announced another product, you know, kind of a competitor, Baird. So it's, it's, it's interesting. It's so much is happening so quickly, which, you know, that's what's actually uh, fascinating, you know, for us. But the other thing is what I would want to also say, it's like, you know, this is a time where we actually have to make sure that everybody is accountable for the growth. Um, we actually probably should, because where we are within our journey, put learning objectives in people's goals for this year, because there's just so much change so quickly People need to really spend time to understand this. Like, am I, am I what I'm doing on everyday basis really beneficial or can I use technology to actually do it? Like, I, it's, it's almost like an organizational reshuffle in terms of the goals where we have to align everything together, which I think, you know, that, that's what, you know, that change is really exciting for us. And I still thinking like, this is a new paradigm. You know, in 12 months, it might be a slightly different world, you know, versus what we are used to over the last 20 years. And, and I would just add to Oscar's point, if you have the right metrics, and I know this sounds so like beating a dead horse, but if we solve this measurement issue, and I, I'm not saying it, it, it's a multi-dimensional approach internally. If you put people, if you, if you measure the right things for each level and each function, even if they don't have the 
AI tools or all the capabilities of the partners or the talent or the structure, they will be forced to go get it. That's the beauty of it. You ask somebody to do something different than they normally are doing, and they might say, I have no expertise. What do you mean? And you'd say, go figure it out. That's what the e-com team had to do 12 years ago, right? When when CPGs were building the first mini centers of excellence, they said, you are tasked with growing this new area that we aren't going to focus on for the next five years. And what did you do? You went to learn. <clears throat> there wasn't a lot of learning available at the time because no one had done it before. Um, you saw that you know, there were new startups that popped up to help everyone measure and run media, right? Like the measurement forced the actions. And then to Oscar's point, we actually need to double jump with actions because there's a lot of other changes that, but if we have the right metric, those tools might get us those metrics faster. If we actually, could, and I think we, we, I, we saw this on LinkedIn, but somebody said, People won't lose jobs to AI. People will lose jobs to people who know how to use AI. And that's the, that's, I think, the, in general, people who know how to use the new tools. And so it's those metrics that hold us accountable to then setting the right goals, getting the right capabilities, and all of those things. But and so I would, I would also certain, add no, one, one thing. Uh, think about it is like if you want to motivate people to use AI and embrace AI, you could just say it's like, hey, if you figure out how to use AI and keep your productivity, right? Your 40, 40 hour week productivity, you can take Friday off forever. So instead of working 40 hours, you can actually work 32 hours because you know how to use technology to have the same output. You would see probably 30, 40% of, you know, employees would jump on it like so quick and you would have a massive, you know, very quick adoption, you know. I wish Oscar would let me have Friday off. <laughs> no, you can't have it. I you Because... Oh. I don't I don't know maybe maybe you see problems with adoption of AI. I don't know whether is that really the issue or is it just actual AI that's useful which is just starting to come to life. I mean I, I think you know uh by the time this airs you know we have a project ongoing to use uh ChatGPT uh to create um product content um as a as the starting place for for brands to then product creation, I mean, product content creation over time will just be a review process rather than, you know, than a start from scratch process, which could radically change the efficiency and the scale that people, how people appear on digital shelf and the, the variety of content they're able to produce for personas and things like that. So that's super exciting. I don't, I don't know that I see anyone sort of resisting adoption of it. I mean, if, if maybe what you're talking about is sort of the fear that they might replace me, but so many, there's so much value added work for human beings to do. The, I think the joy of having the, the sort of mundane but really necessary stuff made easier, every, at least on the e-commerce digital shelf side, every practitioner I know will be like, thank you. Uh, so I'm hopeful that that's what they find from it. But maybe you're seeing more resistance than, than I am. Is it legal and regulatory? That just those two functions just kind of come to my mind in terms of e-commerce. Oh, in terms of resisting using it at all. Versus yeah, correct. Yeah, within the organization, right? Not at home, yeah. but you know. Um, is that what you're seeing, though, Oscar and Chris? Yeah. So, so you know what what's happening is it's because it's such an unknown, and you know this is a little bit of a like um, a little bit of a what you're seeing is with copyrights law, right? Any content created by AI what are the copyrights for it, right? What happens with it if it's actually using the source material? 
What you are seeing on ChatGTP versus, for example, the Bing implementation of OpenAI is that ChatGTP is actually not providing the sources of information versus, um, you know, the Bing implementation. Actually, you can actually see what the algorithm took under consideration when it was actually giving this, um, uh, you know, this recommendation, right, or, or created that piece of work. Which I honestly think this is this will ease a little bit in maybe the legal and regulatory team because they can actually see it's like okay the source is X Y and Z maybe we need to exclude the source for whatever reasons you know could be Wikipedia maybe they don't like what's being written about Wikipedia because you know there might be a slight slight of a bias when it comes into but I do think we'll have to rewire ourselves because think about it is what Microsoft is actually working on is integration of AI within um, um, Outlook, right? Within Word, within Excel. So how we are actually writing emails, how we are actually creating PowerPoint decks, how we create, you know, creating, um, you know, Excel's, you know, data analysis fundamentally can change quite a bit. And it's not going to be as easy as just you know, asking a question, just expecting the results. Like there's going to be a learning curve in terms of how you actually write the query to get to the right result. And I honestly think is because we are in a digital environment where we are slightly lazy on the lazier side. You know, we have a attention span of you know for seven seconds or even less. You know, if you look at product imagery, it's probably less than a second. You know, to judge them, it's going to be interesting to see who will actually flourish on AI right, using the AI to actually pushing to the next limit, because it will not, you know, you still got to prompt it. It's a natural language processing. It doesn't, cannot read your thoughts and know exactly what you need, right? So if you, for example, ask a question and you get the wrong result from the query because you didn't ask the query the right question, you're going to get frustrated with this, right? And you're going to probably discard it. So it's, it, that, that's what I see that change management coming in. Where I do think is we do need to spend time to investigate, you know, to kind of um, immerse ourselves into the new technology and to figure out how this entire ecosystem will work together. Yeah, we'll really take an analytical brain, I think, in addition to a creative one to be able to prompt correctly. I've seen, you know, I've sort of stepped through the process and and the refinement of the question drives dramatically different results. Uh, and And it takes being able to, ask the first question, you know, look at the output and think, oh, I wonder how I might be. It's actually kind of a fun puzzle to work on, but it's going to take time. As you said, education is going to be an incredibly important piece of this. So um, I, I want to move on to, you know, dig in more to the measurement, because really the, the tough love here is that, you know, the measurement is just going to be critical uh, to get uh to mature the business that we're in here. And so, um, Chris, I'd love you to, to talk a little bit more about uh, how brands should focus in terms of delivering the, the smart strategy and goals that you talk about in Shears. So, so when we say smart goal, you know, smart strategies, we're not in, implying that anyone isn't smart. We're going back to that kind of <clears throat> the acronym of smart for specific, measurable, achievable, relevant, time-bound, because again, that's actually applied to goals in general. If you wanted to lose weight for a New Year's resolution, you'd want to set very specific timelines. And you know, you know, you're not going to lose 100 pounds in two days. You're going to have to set like reasonable goals, achievable goals, relevant goals to you for what you can do. But what's really in interesting, and again, this isn't a knock to anybody, but even like in the last couple of weeks, there have been a couple of brands who've asked us to like look at their strategy one pagers or like this is our 2023 
you know, e-commerce, you know, or omni-channel transformation plan. And, and, and again, all of these pieces are needed, but when you look at it, you're like, so sometimes it's hard to decipher because it's a lot on a one page, right? But then it's like, so, so what is your goal? And they're like growth. And you're like, all right, like growth isn't a goal. It's the result of a goal, right? Or of, of a strategy, right? So, but I realize everybody wants to invest to grow. So that's great. Okay. So what is your growth strategy? And then you'll get a number, like, like somebody will say, well, 22% next year or, or this year. And you're like, well, well, that's how much you want to grow. That's not, and I don't say this like I knew better when we were running e-commerce either, but but like in, in hindsight, you're like, well, that's a that's a growth goal. Like that's the number, right? But how are you going to get it? Well, then then you get that, oh, oh, you mean my like what capabilities and what my pillars are. And you're like, yeah. And then they go, we're going to optimize the content, or we're going to win the digital shelf, or we're going to optimize supply chain, or we're going to invest in retail media. And you're like, okay, those are levers that can earn you your goal, but they themselves aren't this the this the smart growth strategy, right? Like that, that and, and what I mean by this is go back. I, I hark back to my brand management days. I had a laminated piece of paper from IRI and or Nielsen because we had both when I was at Reckitt um, during my, my tenure there. And it told you how to diagnose your growth gaps or opportunities based on households, trips, and baskets, right? Like this was like, this is like, that's the growth formula, right? Is I, I get new current lapsed. I get bigger baskets from a number of levers. I get trips from a number of levers. Those are growth goals, right? I want to increase my basket because I already have lots of consumers coming in and I get decent trips. So, but I want to expand the dollars per trip or I have a highly repeatable product, but you know, it's a vitamin, but they only take it two times. They only buy two and I could increase it to 12. So I have this huge upside. So it's really thinking about those growth goals and then building building blocks towards those goals, designing around the capabilities, right? Content. What could I do with content to build baskets? I'm not just going to optimize my content. I'm going to do cross-selling charts and, and regimen images in my secondary carousel. And I'm going to do, and, and then with my media and my promotion, I'm going to do promotions that bundle cross-brand and maybe even cross-manufacturing. And a lot of brands might say, well, I do that. But you don't, I, I would argue, are you doing that with that explicit design around that goal because a lot of brands are doing everything because they're just trying to grow they're not trying to pick one growth goal like we used to in a very mature slow growth brick and mortar world that's what we did that was you were a number one brand it was about extracting as much value from the current people as possible if you were a challenger it was about gaining as much market share and penetration as possible so i don't say it's easy but but if we reframe around my pillars of growth should not be to win the shelf sure that's i'd like to win the shelf but I win the shelf by doing these things. And if I win my basket size and my trips and my new households, depending on which ones I go after, I will outperform others and win on the shelf. And so there's just, it's just a reframe, right? It's just bringing that, that cat man approach back to what is now a maturing space. And I think that helps us build goals we can actually achieve. And my last comment is just a lot of brands will say, I didn't hit my goal this year. Or I don't know why I hit my goal. Well, why is that? Well, we optimize content, but I don't know what part of my content optimization did what, right? So if I'm designing very explicitly around those goals, I can actually see, did that drive that type of incrementality or was I more successful somewhere else? And maybe I should pivot my strategy. So it's, it's just being smarter, if we will, quote unquote, around our goals and, and just knowing that growth isn't 
the strategy, it's the result of those smart strategies. And Chris, to that point, I feel like we've, and you've said this a bit, but we've gone from the era of like, we just need data on everything to like, hey, this data actually has to tell us something and get to an insight. And if we think back to tying in organizational change too, are you seeing organizations build specific teams and internal functionality to collect all this data, have people actually focusing and analyzing it and working with the teams that are creating the goals where I think those were in separate silos maybe a year ago? It's it's a good question. So I'm seeing, and again, if, if you're in an organization out there that's already doing like, like again, we salute you if you're already leading the charge because like, like again, nobody is doing everything perfect, right? There are a lot of people doing really awesome things in certain areas of these factors of change. Not everyone is doing all of them. That's the same thing even when you think of like a PDP. No one has the perfect PDP. Everyone has like 90% if they're really doing well and somebody else is doing one extra thing really well. But we are seeing some teams which are now organizing and it, and I and I hate to use the word matrix, but it's it's they're matricing their business maybe slightly effect, effectively because then it becomes like, okay, hey, there is there's a retail media expertise team in general. There's a content team or it might, it might be called the conversion team. So there's like a traffic team and a conversion team. And then there's the innovation and the portfolio team, which has to be baked back into e-commerce and omni-ready packaging. But at the same time, then there's like a cross across like at Walmart, I need the nuance of how I'm translating all those things back at just Walmart. Um, and for a category or a brand who might have a very explicit and, and intentional goal that isn't just all growth, but I'm a number one brand, I want to extract more value from my current shoppers, they're laced in there too. And they're thinking about how I bring, so there has to be specialty teams um, in that kind of customer lifetime value equation, like traffic conversion, maybe the basket size and trips teams, honestly, are more of those category teams as they think about what the strategy is for the categories. But to your point, they're starting to come together. We need, maybe again, if we had the right metrics, they might come together faster because we'd all be forced to figure out how to solve it together. But we are starting to see that. But I still see a lot of teams, not wrongly, but organized around the the, the capability lever, like like content or you know digital shelf ops or whatever it may be called, and then retail media. And that's good. But what about the ones that bring those together holistically in a full funnel that say, basket is my, my goal? How do I do all of those things to build baskets? And that's where we actually see some brand teams. It's almost like Catman or brand teams starting to form or leads who bring all of those together for a category. And then certain leads for key retailers that bring all those together. So to your point, it is starting to happen, but there's not one structure that's perfect, but it's those roles that I think need to be in play. Yeah, I think that makes a ton of sense, especially from like a resource standpoint and figuring out who to add on what team. And and Oscar, when we think about investments across those teams, what are you seeing? Because there's you're talking about AI, which is great, which requires an investment. What team does that come from? Who is accounting for that? And then you have retail media and content. How are you kind of seeing that shift in this new environment? Well, in terms of investment, you know, what we always kind of um, talk about, you know, with our clients and our friends in the industry is to build a comprehensive plan that is like A to Z, right? Don't build a plan that, you know, you have the data for, right? So like, you know, we've seen like a lot of those strategy plans where it basically has, well, this is my, my net sales were this, you know, my category was this, my margin was this, 
maybe a few of the other PNL metrics, and that's it. That's the plan, right? And it's like, okay, but do you understand where your content is? Like, do you understand how many assets you have out there? Do you know how many assets are actually distributed? That has to be in the plan, right? Do you understand your issues with availability? You know, availability is a massive problem for our industry just because there are so much new ones buried within the zip code level measurement of every single Kroger, Walmart, Target locations, right? That if you just basically scrape, you know, two, three zip codes around the around the country for Walmart, this is not enough. Like you, you really can uncover some interesting opportunities and we've been actually doing some of those tests. The other challenge, what it is, is like, if you think about it is um, when it comes into actually content production, like what would it take to actually have to raise minimum viable uh, product of the, your entire digital set one level up? How to create a nuance for specific customers? Like those plans have to be built in a very specific way that you actually kind of understand the nuance and you are okay if you don't have something. And, and, and the one that is like blandly, which is a problem within our industry in CPGs is retail media. Guess what? Like how many times we ask our clients to tell us, what is your retail media budget um, outside of Amazon? And then we hear, we hear crickets. Oh, it's with the agency. Okay, who has the spreadsheet? Like who is paying the bills? Like, can you actually give us a little bit of a better metrics? nothing it's like you know we've become accustomed to re rely on to our agencies that we really have hard time uh, companies have really hard time to articulate it but what i'm basically saying is like hey let's actually build a plan very nuanced plan you know end to end and if we actually don't have the data we can then identify this uh, this is our priority let's actually go after our retail media budget data for walmart for kroger for target and to be able to extract this and be able to say what are some of the metrics that we need to do right so that that's one aspect the other one is that we see over and over again is that people build plan for themselves but this is like a wonderful vision of trying to apply to a job for a company assuming that you are the only one candidate right so this whole notion of really understanding is what are my key competitors doing what type of strategies they are employing what are some of the gaps that they have that i could ex, you know um explore you know and, and actually take advantage of like we cannot just be building strategy plans end to end and being able to have enough of a nuance granularity uh for growth just by looking at ourselves we almost have to really have a good kind of understanding where the competition is you know where what uh, potential weaknesses we could actually explore that they actually that, that they do have. So it, it's it's interesting is because we as e-commerce leaders as digital commerce leaders um, we are basically not used to being in a mature business, and that's why that mature business um, you know it's very you know it's very clear that you have to like almost like when you go back to the shear you have to address the eight factors of change you cannot just select one out of eight factors of change you got to address all of them so i think from that perspective um you know the key what it is is like you know you almost have to have unfortunately like a checklist you know like when you're actually flying a you know 747 or dreamliner go through your checklist and make sure you actually address every single thing to set yourself for success because otherwise you're going to miss one and guess what you might actually not be able to deliver your plan. And, and 2023 is a very tricky year. 
we've seen a lot of companies that are actually calling down their growth numbers. You know, their category is shrinking. They are not meeting their sales budget because to Chris's point of view, they just had a random, let's grow 40%. What we got away, you know, just a few years ago, it's not necessarily what we can actually get away at the moment, um, which, you know, that's why I think that granularity is super important. Yeah, I think this, uh, you know, the, the idea of the digital shelf maturity curve, and, and that that's only a piece of the puzzle. You talked about so many other factors, but but this is the time where, you know, the the, I mean, test and learning is always an important part, but sort of the side gig of e-commerce is now front and, and center to almost every brand's growth strategy. And so that maturity is going to be super important. And Gentlemen, just thank you so much. I mean, this we just talked about a few of the things in the report. There are eight factors of change. Um, and and I think it's it's such a great piece to sort of pull that together and allow companies that are still evolving their strategy and feeling those uh, that desire to move into a more mature state. It's a great guide for that. And and I just uh, just you folks should should download it. It's at firstmover.com slash sheared. S-H-E-A-R-E-D and First Mover has no E. Uh, so it's firstmover, M-O-V-R dot com slash sheared. So Oscar and Chris, you know, you we love partnering with, with you guys with First Mover. We are grateful for the education that you provide to the industry. And thank you for sharing it with our audience again today. We appreciate it. Thank you so much, Peter and Lauren, for having us today. Yeah, thank you. Thanks again to Chris and Oscar for going commando with us today. <laughs> that link again is firstmover.com slash sheared. It will also be available at digitalshelfinstitute.org on the partner page. Become a member while you're there. And thanks again for being part of our community.